0: I have these friends, Dan and Sheila. I, actually, they're podcast hosts. Welcome to Profiling Criminal Minds. I'm Dan. And I'm Dr. Redmond. And, oh boy, uh, we watched a movie that I was insisting we watch for a while. You may not 100% understand why I was so insisting we watch the movie, but I think you should be if you think about it. Uh, I'm just going to oh, say no. it. It's a delightful movie. <laughs> I called a movie about cannibals delightful, but well, I mean the thing is, the characters were yes, I it know is it is a, just a fun ride that I think everybody should see, and because it was directed by Antonia Bird, and because yeah. it stars Robert Carlyle in a just a fantastic performance. Well, what are you going to do? You can't complain about any of the actors. No, but Robert Carlyle is so good in this. Oh, God. And even John Spencer for him. Oh, John Spencer. Turns out this was his last movie. Because right after he filmed this, he got the West Wing. So he just worked on the West Wing for the rest of his life. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because this is 1999. So he made this right before he got the West Wing. Yeah. (laughs) I, I know. It's a surprise. Yeah. And by the way, uh, this is a perfect example. Okay, so in case you haven't seen the movie, which first off, it's on Disney Plus, like t- 20th Century Fox made this, so it's just watchable right now easily. Yep, yep. Uh, you watch- just turn on Disney Plus and watch this, and everybody should. Uh, but what's interesting about it is it was made by uh, Antonia Bird, who made Priest. And mm. it might have been her last attempt to make a Hollywood movie because she found it so obnoxious having to work with studios. <laughs> Which is fair, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> who's gonna fight her on that one, right? Yeah, who's gonna fight her on that one? Uh but anyway, she uh yeah, she did a fan- I mean, I'm just gonna say it. Like she did a fantastic job on this. It stars Robert oh, Carla, it stars gorgeous. Guy Pierce, and yeah. it's such a good looking movie. And Oh my god. And Damian Dirk. <laughs> I know, yes, <laughs> Neil McDonough in a tiny part. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's good. It's always so nice to see him. Oh, no, he's he's so wonderful. Uh, playing, and again, it's not accidental, the guy who is a, uh, you know, a ridiculously dedicated soldier who is named Reich. In case you wanted to, in case you're wondering, is there any subtlety in the world of this film? No, there's no subtlety in the world of this film. This film is about exactly what it's about. To the point that, and I think this is the best part. Um. At one point, just in case you don't understand what the movie is about, Robert Carlyle paints a cross on his head in blood and just says what the movie is about. It's like, are you familiar with the concept of Manifest Destiny? <laughs> <laughs> and the belief that we are entitled to use up this continent. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we only kill a few people here and there. Here
1: and there, you know, and so we just get to enough go. to survive and yeah. get get a few more
0: recruits. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god.
1: Well, because they're they're turning into wendigos. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's that's the premise of the thing that the wendigo legend is real. Although I like that they point out that it's like, well, it's not a it's not a it's not a California kind of thing. Like this is a. No, so they, they, they even they, they that it's from up. Yes, they even say it's uh from up. He translated it as from up north, but they have the character full on say Ojibwe. So yeah. it's like the writer did his work, which I thought was really nice. <laughs> but yeah, uh, wendigos are a problem in Canada more because I mean, what it comes down to is Canada has really bad winters, and so there's six months there where it's really hard to find food, and so the greatest taboo has to be cannibalism. Yeah, if you want to build a stable society in a place where you can't get food six months out of the year, you have to make cannibalism the biggest taboo. Yeah, and that is what the Wendigo myth is all about. And here, uh, it is a wonderful fantasy version of the Wendigo myth, where people are healed and given powers by devouring other people, and uh, and that is something that Guy Pierce accidentally discovers. Yes, it wasn't on purpose. Yeah, it wasn't on purpose. He was, uh, he was a coward who was thrown into a pile of bodies. Yeah. And, uh, you know... It, it, right at the beginning. Right at the beginning. He's a coward. Back when he was fighting in the Mexican-American War, he was thrown into a pile of bodies. And they just carted this... Uh, they threw all these on this pile to, you know, sort through their equipment later. And then they all went for a meal. And he crawled his way from out of the bodies and he captured the enemy command post. So he was technically a hero even though everybody knew he was a coward and he couldn't tolerate the sight of meat afterwards oh exactly like he has to like he's just thoroughly disgusted because you know all of this meat that dripped into his all of this blood human blood that dripped into his mouth and what i like right up front it made him the hero it made him the hero exactly and that's that's the dichotomy is yeah uh he was a coward like killing made him a hero in the eyes of people but it haunted him yeah. And what I find so interesting about that is the way it comes at the The film could have had everyone think he was a hero, right?
1: Yeah, but
0: did. they didn't. And that is what I find so interesting is that right at the start, you got John Spencer say, yeah, we all know you're a coward. But from a political standpoint, it's not good to have cowards. So we're just going to say you're a hero and put you at the least... And I'm going to put you in the least important job in the entirety of my command. Like in the entirety of my command, here's the place that matters the least. That's where I'll send you. Yeah. And it's just like, I like the, um, the way that it immediately essentially puts, yeah, all of this idea of war and heroism is a facade. Yep. Right. Right. right at the
1: beginning, yeah.
0: you know, it.
1: Mm-hmm. And, um, you know that there's something wrong with him because he can't stand the sight of blood and he doesn't, well, I mean, the thing is, is he wants it too much, right? Exactly. And now you don't get full confirmation of that until, until
0: much, much later. later. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and so he gets sent to this place in the middle of nowhere that is being run by, um, oh God, I'm blanking on the character's name. Uh, the It's the principal from... Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Jeffrey Blanken, Jeffrey Jones. Yeah, Jeffrey Jones. Uh, Being run by Jeffrey Jones, and you have a a motley crew of people. Their doctor is a ridiculous drunk. <laughs> he's well, a he's a veterinarian, <laughs> is what he exactly. is. <laughs> exactly. Veter- he used to be a veterinarian, and in the Army, that's good enough to make you the doctor. Yeah. He's a ridiculous drunk. They have a guy who is, again, Uh, they have one soldier. Who is obsessed with strength and toughness and showing off, and that's who Neil McDonough's playing. Yeah. Uh, and no one takes him seriously because they're never going to be fighting anybody here, guarding a pass <laughs> in Northern it, California. That that in the
1: winter nobody comes and only some people come.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> during the year. Yeah, exactly. It is It'll not heat so up well, in the
1: spring and the summer.
0: Yeah. But, uh, and then you have the two native people who, as they say, came with the fort. Yes. <laughs> uh, who are uh, uh, Martha, who is, um, you know, neither of them, like both can speak English and choose not to very much, yeah. which is nice. Uh, Martha and her brother. The brother is not as important as Martha is because she's the one who uh, lets us know about the Wendigo stuff and has no patience. Uh And what I love is has no patience for what Guy Pierce is going through. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I I don't care that you're suffering. Like you're the one who, you know, you're in a bad situation now. And I like, again, the Wendigo, it is, it is America because uh, she says it quite simply. The Wendigo is a thing that only devours and it never gives anything back. Yep. Like, yep, there you go. There you go and it will keep devouring and it will in, in endlessly keep uh, uh, devouring and less killed you want to make this about capitalism you want to say uh you can but fundamentally it's about american colonialism mm-hmm. it absolutely is that america has to destroy everything in front of it and it will always continue doing that like it is an incredibly political film like way more than i think you're expecting when it starts well,
1: yes, it well, the only thing is is that I'm not sure that everybody knows how political it is, how political it actually is, yeah, right well, I because I mean that if you're in tune, because yeah. it's a good film, it's a good cannibal film with its sort of semi twist at the end, <laughs> um, you know, so it's a you know, as Martha walks off into the sunset yep no she's not a wendigo don't worry about no, that she's that's fine. not the
0: twist that's not the twist
1: <laughs> but she just says i've had enough of this my yep. brother's dead now
0: mm-hmm. so i'm well, off so he gets there and that so he gets to this camp and there's explicitly nothing for him to do here
1: yeah because you've got the he's the third in command you've yeah. got who the heck, David Arquette? Who is he playing? David
0: Arquette is just a guy who works there. Yeah. Just like, exactly. he's technically a private, but it's like, there's no military discipline.
1: No, and so... He so just he,
0: smokes pot all with day his, long. With his, or, and he does mushrooms does mushrooms. He does mushrooms, he, does mushrooms, like that, he smokes that. pot, and he just, you know, there's nothing to do here. They don't need as many troops <laughs> as they have. And then they've got the religious guy. And then they've got, yeah, then they've got uh, Jeremy Davies (laughs) playing their pastor. Who sort of showed up, but don't know what he does. Yeah. And he's there (laughs) to whisper prayers that nobody listens to. It's a good movie. It's a great movie. It really is. It's just a great movie. Uh, And then, of course, things go to hell when Robert Carlyle shows up. Well, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Really, you know, you know, nice and early. Like you get, it's it's pretty great structurally. Yeah, you know, because you're like a little before a third away into the movie, Robert Carlyle shows up uh, as a guy playing Calhoun, yeah. uh, which they spell properly in the subtitles as Colquin, Uh <laughs> <laughs> which I really like, and he tells the story of the Donner Party. I mean, and and it is like, it is the exact story. Like the, there is no, there is no subtlety here. There is no, like, we're trying to hide the details. The Donner, the story of the Donner party was, there was a guide who, you know, in basically who the hell knows whether he, he thought he was right or not. Right. But the fact is, in order to get people to sign up with his wagon train, he told them he had found an easier route to California.
1: Yeah.
0: And he hadn't. And they all got trapped, and they all ate each other and It was very, very, very upsetting, yes, ah, uh, but of course, this gets tied in, and so he has this story, and he lets them know that a uh that there is that almost everybody got eaten, and it was just the nefarious Colonel Ives who was left in the cave with this woman, and he ran for help for three days. And he stumbled into this place, and so the army being like, "Well, we've got to go back and save her and arrest this Colquinn for being a cannibal." Yeah, which is uh, quite reasonable. And he does such a good job of selling his trauma. <laughs> oh, I know. And like how oh. how shame, how much shame he feels. <laughs> it's like. You know, I mean, you believe it. You, believe, you it. believe it. You believe it's it. You believe it. How does it. How did he not get it? And I know the the answer. I'm just saying, if ever a man deserved a best supporting actor nomination or even a best actor nomination for a horror performance, yeah. It's Robert Carlyle in this. <laughs> Cuz
1: he's oh, right. the
0: layers of what he's doing.
1: The beginning from the beginning to the end.
0: Yeah. He's like he has so many turns. Yeah. Yeah, oh my god! All right, so yeah, it's 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 magnificent, right? <laughs> it is absolutely so. They go, they look, and uh, we get that great moment where he <laughs> cannot resist his cannibalism, and like, start because Jeremy Davies falls and gets a you know a hole in his stomach, and he cannot resist again licking Jeremy Davies' wound. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, it was yucky.
0: <laughs> it is, and so he's like, <laughs> the
1: whole thing is yucky.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, has them lock him up, right, To oh. uh, you know, tie me up to make sure it's safe, and then they find the cavern just as he promised, exactly where he said it was going to be. And so it's like it's all looking good, and so they, the two of them, uh, the soldier, and of course Guy Pierce, who doesn't yeah. want to go in, but you know, he's technically third in command, so he better go.
1: So he better
0: go, and he, and besides, nobody knows
1: he's he's a Wendigo.
0: Yeah, exactly, nobody knows he's a Wendigo. It's not like he's we, opened up to everybody about this stuff.
1: No, we don't know that he's. I mean, we don't know for sure.
0: No, we yet. don't know for not, sure. Not,
1: not not even yet. No, because he has sure.
0: yet. To, he does not have the conversation yet about how he felt after you know what he did after drinking that blood, and then he. Uh, <laughs> we have and they go in and they find out that uh well Col- calhoun couldn't have been telling the truth because there are more skeletons here in here than there should be right? yep and One they've more. been dead a long time yep like this is not something that just happened a couple of weeks ago and so while they're discovering that inside calhoun gets the uh the knife he buried and uses it to just murder everybody yep Oh my God! Ah, oh, and including a and this is where you get just the most fantastic parts of it uh of of who he is as a performer. what a great, unbelievably good job Robert Carlyle is doing because of his wonderful uh you know telling jeremy davies to ru- to run because it's more fun if I chase you down. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, <laughs> uh, and so now it's just it's literally he stabbed the boss, he shot Joseph. That's uh the the Yes, yeah, the, the brother. That's the brother. Yes. Yeah, that's Martha's brother, Joseph. Uh, yeah. right? Uh he shot Joseph, he's sta he's gutted. Oh my god. Uh he has absolutely, you know, gutted Jeremy Davies. He stabbed the commander, Commander Knox. Uh yeah. And oh, and weird thing I can't believe we didn't mention this earlier. The place is actually called Fort Spencer, and John Spencer's there playing General Slauson. I know that's not important, and it may have been named that originally. Just I thought that was an interesting coincidence. Um, Anyway, (laughs) I know that's not that's far from the most important thing to talk about here. I just thought it was kind of interesting. Anyway, uh, the point is, they corner him. They follow him to the cliffs. He uh, (laughs) he manages to take a bullet from uh from reich from neil mcdonough and it doesn't bother him at all no nope. throws a knife and he goes off a cliff uh throws a knife and neil mcdonough goes off a cliff yeah and now it's just him and guy pierce him and guy pierce and guy pierce just jumps off the cliff because he's a coward i mean and at at, the, at this point i like i don't even know what he could have done I was going to say, like, there wasn't nothing, much. There's nothing, there's not a ton he could have done in this situation. Like, nope. he really was screwed. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But it, it is wonderfully consistent that it's like whenever there's a situation, he does flee. Like, that is always his first instinct. His first <laughs> instinct when he sees that Calhoun is killing everybody is to flee, and he's dragged along by Reich. You know? Yeah. Like fundamentally, this guy is always a coward and he's always trying to run from the danger. And I like that note. I really like that note. I think it's yeah. an interesting thing to do with the main character of a movie. Yeah. That he does not want to participate in any of this. All right. <laughs> oh, and then things get uh, fantastic because we get this amazing but- scene where he goes through the trees yeah
1: he jump, he goes he and he hangs on to branches as yeah.
0: he's going to slow his fall just enough yep. that only his leg is broken, and he yep. lands on top of Reich and they go com- tumbling down into a hollow in the ground that is completely covered by trees, so yep. that when Calhoun comes to look for them, he can't find them yep, and then we get a wonderful just a wonderful montage of a full week or more passing, right this week or more yep. passing yep. where uh, Calhoun just having a great time, you know, cutting up bodies and, uh, eating flesh. And Guy Pierce getting hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. And finally. And, fi- and like, knowing that if he eats this flesh of Reich, who yeah. has died, and again, who just to make this more awful and just to get more pointed, dies grinning with his eyes wide open. <laughs> just to make it that much harder for us to look at and for him to do. The man dies grinning with his eyes wide open. And so he like, he finally has to cut into his flesh yeah. to eat him, to heal him enough to survive. Then he hobbles the three days home. He gets back to camp. And then you have this moment when he gets back to the the fort, right? Yeah, We are like, is this movie really only 40% of the way done? And the answer is yeah. The movie really is only 40% of the way done. He is seen to by Knox and General Slawson. John Spencer shows up. Uh, you know, John and Spencer shows up to uh check on him and see what's going on and he hears this story yeah. about cannibalism and this crazy uh, you know, Scotsman Colquhoun, uh Calhoun, right? And Just says, uh, and once again, would prefer it if he didn't have to, it becomes a consistent thing with the character. He would prefer not having to put any of that in a report.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) So he's like, look, you were out in the woods for weeks. Obviously, it was a harrowing harrowing experience. Maybe don't write that in the report. I I will not say you lied on a report. I will just say you were confused after being out there for weeks. So let's just rewrite this to something (laughs) that makes sense unless sounds less insane. Uh, But of course he doesn't want to. And then we find out that a, uh, a new Colonel has been dispatched to take over temporarily until a permanent solution has been found, right? To replace Hart, who is Jeffrey Jones, who was of course killed in the, uh, (laughs) killed in the horrible fight. And, of course, spoiler alert the the new colonel who arrives is Colonel Ives, and this is the real question, so was he always colonel Ives? Yes, I mean, he has to have been right yes, he was always yeah. colonel Ives, and he was the colonel yeah. so yeah. i mean he he was the colonel himself. who led people, and that was and that is the reveal because what yes. we are told is we hear his backstory, which is he was dying of tuberculosis. Yeah. And a native scout told him about the Wendigos and he decided to try it and, and he it killed worked. the native scout and eat him and it healed him. And then there was no like a guy screwing up in his attempt to uh, find a new trail. He specifically got a wagon train out there so he could strand them so he could eat them. Yeah. And uh, now that he's done it, he then went back to Denver and he specifically says and he came up with the plan to take over. And I guess he found out about the state of Fort Spencer and he came up with the plan to take over Fort Spencer. Yeah. And that is what Colonel lives did. And so in fact, all of this stuff happened last year, right? The whole winter where everyone got eaten, that all happened a year ago. Uh, And that is, that is the, the wonderful reveal because I've seen people reviewing it, not being sure whether he was actually, uh Col- Calhoun pretending to be Colonel Lives, And I'm like, no, even though he doesn't say it explicitly, I think it's pretty clear that he led them into the, led them into the Deliberately. mountains with no yeah. intention of getting them through to the other side. No. But I mean, it is true that if you're not w- paying that close attention, the film does not explicitly say that, but I think it's pretty clear and you agree with me on that one.
1: Oh yeah. I fully agree with you. On okay, that.
0: good. Yeah, because there's there's rumors no, that no, say no, you he don't know exactly. whether he's just pretending to be Colonel Ives or not. And I'm like, no, I th- think the story he told was true. It's just he's Colonel Lives. Yeah, he's and Colonel Lives. Was he's... the other guy he killed? Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad well, we. When this he the came
1: same. in, he pretended to be the other guy. Yeah,
0: he pretended to be then, Calhoun. Because
1: yeah. and and that's pretty clear from the when um I keep calling him Damian Dirk um <laughs> Neil goes, down, yeah. goes down into the, the pit well and find
0: calhoun's you know and find beautiful. all
1: those bodies he says it's a trap and he comes out and he says no he's the he's yeah. the he's the, the, the cannibal krill. he's the cannibal
0: yeah but the thing is you couldn't like i as i said people watching it have misread yeah. it and i understand why they misread it oh yeah because yeah, it's felt I- like he specifically says that it's it's Colonel Ives. But no, because he finds Colonel Ives' uniform, like, folded there, and because he has to go and get it back. And yeah. he had always planned to go and get it back at some point in the future. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, notably for the film's messages, he's pretending to be Calhoun, who is a man of God, and he never stops wearing the rosary. And I think that's what confuses people. Because yeah. he never stops wearing the rosary, and he does paint a, uh, (laughs) he does paint, uh, (laughs) paint a cross in blood on his head. So I think that's what confuses people because he does, you know, pretend to be a man of God and he does keep some of the aspects of that for the rest of the thing. He always wears the rosary and he paints the cross on his head in blood. So people are like, Oh, does was he just pretending to be Colonel Ives and actually he's, it was the man of God. I'm like, no, I think he was always Colonel Ives.
1: No, I think he was always Colonel Ives.
0: Yeah, it's just he is.
1: He was the one that led them there. He was supposed exactly. to be the one that was going to.
0: Um, guide them through to the... guide
1: them through. He's supposed but to be really it was because he's in the military. Exactly. And yeah, they would he... send them along on wagon trains. It, exactly. So It It's completely logical. Mm
0: hmm and that he uh, would be that he would actually be criminal. Uh, And So, so again, that's just, my take too.
1: Yeah. And he th- then just just decides that, you know, okay, this is a good thing to do to pretend to be really religious.
0: Mhm, cuz it'll make people <laughs> no. think of you as less threatening. Yeah, it makes <laughs> perfect sense. Yep. Mm-hmm. The the logic of it is inescapable. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I mean <laughs> and then he shows up and uh and of course <laughs> uh Guy Pierce tells everybody that this is the man and at the start of what will prove to be an unbelievably homoerotically uh tinged relationship between them for the rest of the film <laughs> <laughs> it, you can't not read it that way uh <laughs> he makes he forces uh Ives to strip in front of him to prove that his uh his shoulder doesn't have a bullet hole in it, but of course yeah. it fully healed because he's a wendigo. But then again, yeah. Guy Pierce doesn't understand how it works, so although you'd think well, he, he would have given it out quickly, or... no, he. You're right, he doesn't want to know. But you'd think based on how quickly his le- his compound fractured leg healed, he would at least have a sense of it. Well, no. plus remember, n- and now n- now we find out that. Um...
1: That the commanding officer is alive. Not yet,
0: though. We don't actually find no. that out yet. Well, that is uh, not until okay. yeah, not until the general and his adjutant have left. Well, and yeah. it's just, you know, uh, Knox is there. And a couple of Knox is there. David Arquette is there. And Mary is the only one who is very unnerved because she is 100% sure that Guy Pierce is responsible for her brother being dead. And, you know, believes he's a Wendigo now. Like she does not trust him at all
1: no, for the rest
0: of the movie. And in fact, when uh, when they need a volunteer to go and collect General Sloss and she's just like, I'll get out of here. Thank you very much. Yeah. And she goes, got, yeah, you know, I uh, I got no problem with that, because what happens is that he essentially just completely focuses all of his attention on Ives. Just trails him, follows him constantly, never takes his eyes off of him. And yet, while he's doing that, <laughs> David Arquette's character gets killed. Yeah. And so he's like, he doesn't understand how it could have possibly happened. And he attacks Ives and they blame him for killing David Arquette and they lock him up. And Martha has to go. Yeah. And so, all the, I mean, basically, the only people left are Ives and Knox and Guy Pierce at this point.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then somebody kills Knox. And we're like, oh, okay. Jeffrey Jones survived. Yep. And it's very interesting because of what they do with Jeffrey Jones. Because what yeah. we learned about Jeffrey Jones earlier was that he was a learned man. Yeah. And this is the most boring jo- place in the world. But it actually kind of speaks to him because he want- what he wants most, right, mm. is to sit and study history. Yeah. He has all of these books. He has all of these, he has all of these pieces of the past, and it's as he says, incredibly tedious to translate them. But tedium goes a long way in a place like this, yeah. which is a really nice idea. Yeah. And th- so he was brutally stabbed, but he didn't quite die. And the first thing Ives did was start feeding him blood yeah. and bringing him back until he was fully healed. Yep. yep. And because he wants him to, you know, be in on the cult. Yeah. <laughs> he needs another man for the cult. And it's as simple as that. And, and then we get all of Jeffrey Jones's stuff where he goes back and he sees that, uh, that all of his books have been removed.
1: Yeah. Well, because he,
0: everyone thought he was dead. So they yeah. packed up his effects and sent them on. Yeah. Right. And it's this wonderful metaphor for like, this kind of ravenous hunger doesn't allow for any other any other interest like you have no other identity other than being something that consumes yeah and that's a really interesting idea because colonialism is a thing that comes in and it wipes out cultures and it wipes out peoples and it just creates this homogenous sludge yes right and there's upsides to that i mean british cuisine uh <laughs> you know but the fact is like this kind of this kind of art and caring about history can't happen under colonialism because then you can't escape the story that it's like that all of if you understand history you understand what you did to history to take over yeah if that's not too simplistic I no, think that's he's... part of the message there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's like what he's been offered is maybe eternal life. Who knows how healthy being a Wendigo keeps you, but it's at the cost of fully living. Yeah. You know, it's at the cost of endlessly murdering. And again, it's, it's a message about, right? It is a message about American exceptionalism and Manifest Destiny. And it's like, you can have riches, you just have to kill everything in your way. You have to never stop murdering to hold on to it.
1: You never have to, you can't stop creating psychopaths. Exactly. <laughs> That's a really interesting <laughs> That may be too hard. Harsh. <laughs> but it is i mean it's what happens is you create people without empathy you create people who are willing mm-hmm. to kill in the name of whatever
0: yep you know yeah and that's that's the thing it, like it they do maybe don't even need a reason uh that's a conversation we can have uh but yes the and i think that's what's so compelling about this idea that he like he offers these people power at the cost of abandoning right. everything but power. Yeah. And I think that's such a compelling idea. Right. And I think that's such a scary idea. And in a very real way, he, like it is so incisive in what it's talking about. And the guy who wrote this would go on to um, create, uh, create the TV show Terriers, which I really liked, mm. write a bunch of movies, including uh, the first Oceans 11 movie. Really? Yeah, same guy. This was his first, like, and I mean, and this is what you can tell. And it, this is why it's kind of like such a minor miracle that this ever got made. You can tell that this is a guy who's like just trying stuff. He's trying to break into Hollywood. So he's just trying something crazy. There's nothing safe about this movie. No, except, as I said, it's easy enough not for a
1: lot of people. I'm sure they just liked it without ever understanding. Thinking what it about was. the Please subtext.
0: Saying. Yeah. yeah. I think that's true. I think you're right about it, that. Because it's it's that it's that good, mm-hmm.
1: you know. And you and you get Guy Pierce, who you know, and that's <laughs> when and you get that final kind of oh. look that that he he wants to go and kill. Yeah,
0: right. But he doesn't. I know. You know, is there and, and like it's it's an amazing movie, and but that that moment when. Like Jeffrey Jones tells him. And I love oh that was when so he just tells him about, I can't live like this. I can't live, kill me. Yeah. Please. And he invites him oh. to kill him. Yeah. And then we've got Colonel Ives anxiously awaiting General Slauson getting there. Yeah. Because that way they can kill his adjutant and Martha and then brutally wound him, just like he did to Hart, And then get themselves, you know, a... Uh, a benefactor who's more highly ranked in the military, who can keep sending victims their way and covering up everything they do. Yeah. Right. It's like, it, it's, it's a good plan. good plan. It's a real good plan. Uh, but what I love most about it is, and then Guy Pierce comes out and they have their wonderful fight. Yeah. I which is want such no a,
1: part of it, even though no he part did of eat
0: it. the soup because he had to. Yep. He had, Yeah, he gets stabbed and he has to eat the soup to stay alive. Yeah, And then he sees, and I mean, and as he says, can I, <laughs> you get this wonderful moment where Robert Carlyle is essentially, a, a, essentially, he just asks him, can I trust you? And uh, Guy Beer's like, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't trust him. <laughs> and so that's why he stays locked up. And what I love is that it's like, yes, he eats the soup. Yes, he needs to stay alive. But, like, he does it so reticently, he's so obviously unhappy that I think, you know, you can read it as that is part of what changes the heart of, okay, it's changed the heart of, Heart is the character's name, so I kind of got away from myself on that one, sorry. Uh, but yeah, like, I think you can say it affects Hart's take on all of this. Right? The fact that Guy Pierce. Like, will not under any circumstances accept this. Like, will never accept being part of the plan. And it's like, and him, it makes him look at the fact that he has abandoned everything except for the desperate desire to stay alive. Yeah, it's a really interesting idea. And it leads you to just, again, this fantastic battle between the two of them. I love this fight scene so much. Oh yes, it was it was
1: it was great and how it ends. You oh. did have it foreshadowed. Yep. That that was how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. But um never mind. And they just fight and fight and they
0: fight. F- and it's so clumsy and brutal. Yep. That's what I love most about it, is how awkward a fight scene this is. <laughs> like the way they are just hammering at each other and And they they thought so much through just how awkward the fight would have to be if they're getting this injury is because very early in the fight, Guy Pierce gets stabbed in the back. Yeah. And after that, he can barely lift that arm for the entire rest of the fight. Like Uh, he has to massively favor the other arm and he gets super clumsy for the rest of the fight.
1: And it it is Captain Ives who takes the knife out of his back. I know,
0: takes the knife out of him and stabs him again. Yeah, because he can't just reach back and get that knife out. It's in a bad place, and one of his arms isn't working. But it's so bloody, and he drops a roof on Colonel Ives. And and Ives survives that. Of course. Yeah, of course. He's massively, like, he's he's Wendigo-powered. Yeah. And then uh, you get the wonderful finale that's as satisfying as anything you're going to see, where... Where he has set up a bear trap, yeah. a giant bear trap. Yeah, like this thing is enormous. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen a bear trap that big. Yeah, well, you know, I'm sure such those, a thing exists. But yeah, oh, God. big grizzlies <laughs> for the big grizzlies or a moose or something. Uh, and they both fall into it, and we get the uh, the the wonderful last moment of consequence of the film. Uh, which is I've saying that it's like, so, if I, if you die first, you know, I'm going to eat you. And if I die first, you're going to have a decision to make. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so perfect.
1: <laughs> no, it was. I, And, and Guy Pierce, mm-hmm. like, like Jones, mm-hmm. says, no,
0: yeah, I can't do it. It's not worth it. I'm not going to live like this. But mean in the meanwhile, yep. General Slauson has arrived at the base, and the stew made out of Knox is just sitting there, just sitting right there in the middle of the great hall. So why not have a bite? And there you go. Because fundamentally, it's it's still like you can't defeat manifest destiny so easily. And that's the message. Yeah, it was, it was a horrible message. It's a horrible message, but it's true. Oh, yeah. No, no I'm not
1: saying it. it's not like what I'm trying to do is ever is easy to do or is going to.
0: Yeah. You, you have, have to fight success. against this thing, even though you know that, like, uh, there's no good way to expect success. Mm-mm. You can't ever assume you're going to win this fight, but that doesn't mean you can stop fighting it. Yeah, you have to It's try. a beautiful message. Yeah, well, you have just, to try. You just oh. have to try. There was Guy, Guy Pierce, and he could have survived. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that's the key. Like, he had everything he needed to get out of this alive and just keep being awful. And he could have done it. And he would have had a happy partner <laughs> in Robert Carlyle. Again, like, once <laughs> he gets back, I am not, this is not subtext. The the looks that Robert Carlyle is giving Guy Pearce (laughs) is being, he is choosing to play this a very specific way. Yeah. And that is, that is just, you know, that this is a, that what he is tempting him into is being gay as well. Okay. As well. Uh, But it's like, okay, now we get into thorny uh, issues about, well, is that saying that, you know, gays recruit other gays through abuse and blah blah okay yes does it offer some un- unhappy subtext too maybe uh, but at the same time like the fact that there is this gay subtext is very well read uh by the director and Robert Carlyle as a thing that will make Colonel Ives seem more threatening to american audiences and that's why it's in there yeah cuz the idea that he's hot for guy pierce will just make him more of a threat and more, more evil I, more <laughs> evil i don't like that we live in that world but it's a hell of a fun performance oh yeah you know oh yeah it's, for sure. you can't argue uh, what what is it how does it go you can't argue with the results mm-hmm. and the results are just a dynamite performance from beginning to end and i can't say enough good things about like how completely he changes. And again, he's a great actor. He's always been a great actor, but how completely he changes everything about his performance between being uh Col- Calhoun and being Colonel Lives. Yeah. Like he's he really is playing two completely different people. You know, everything about his bearing, everything about his speech, like everything about how he plays this character is completely transformed the minute he stops pretending to be uh Calhoun yep. and just starts being Colonel lives. It's, it's a magnificent performance. It's again, he, one of my favorite actors always has been ever since a little show called Hamish Macbeth. Yeah. That was so Which, fun. for the record on it. The same. And again, and I mean, he was, he was the rough one, a uh, Begbie in train spotting at the same time as he was on Hamish Macbeth yeah. at the same time he was on, uh, uh what's it called uh, on played albie uh, he's a magnificent actor he always has been and it makes me a little sad that if you ask americans if they know who robert Carlyle is they'll be like oh the guy who played rumple stiltskin on that disney tv show i'm like yep that's him <laughs> yeah that's him as too but no i too, really but... wish the
1: that sci-fi which one was it the sci-fi show
0: oh when he was on um star trek uh no star trek oh my god stargate uh universe Stargate Universe, and oh, and it got canceled. So it was so good. Yeah, I that was, show had its up and downs, but he was so good on that show. Yes, but it went the way of Crusade. Yeah, and I yeah. wanted it to Killed continue much too early. Yeah, <laughs> it was the most promising Stargate show. It yeah. absolutely was, and he was not a small part of why it worked as well as it did. Yeah, yeah, no, like the the man's fantastic. Oh, I am yeah. never going to stop, you know, being in favor of Robert Carlyle. You know, because of all the things I've mentioned, but especially this movie. Oh, and again, oh, his performance <laughs> is just superb. There's the idea, no other way. oh no, there's no other way to describe it. And and I think part of the thing that makes this movie so crazy is, like, you could make a movie like this in the '90s. Like, try to wrap your head around the idea when you think of how basically only two kinds of movies exist now. Right? Which is one, giant blockbusters that cost $200 million to make, right? And tiny indie films that only go at film festivals, and there's a 60% chance you're not going to be able to see it in whatever town you live in. You'll never see it. That's it. And everything else goes direct-to-video. And in the direct-to-video market, the budgets get up to like $10-15 million sometimes, but generally they're pretty cheap. Whereas this movie... Like, it's this, like, they filmed this, I mean, I don't know if they filmed it in Canada or in Northern California or Oregon or something, but it's like, you can tell they're actually where it's set. Yeah. Like, you can tell they're actually in the Rockies. Yes. Like, they didn't go and film this in Poland. And you can tell that they didn't go film this in Poland based on how good it looks. Based on how fundamentally it looks exactly like the location it needs to, like it yeah, is. it
1: looks like it's supposed to. Unlike the the alienist part two. Oh my god, that right?
0: That was so horrible. Oh, they they botched that.
1: Oh, so badly. As I said, it looked like uh, it looked like it was Dracula. <sighs> I know. The Dracula. It
0: totally did. Oh, the alienist part two. I'm still so mad about that after I read the book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, that makes it. It's it's an okay season of television. It's not great. And then you're like, just wait till you read the book. And I'm like, oh no. (laughs) What they could have done and what they did. What they could have done with this thing. Oh man. Anyway, but, uh, the, the far more important point is this is a movie that they spent like what 20 some million dollars on that they went out they went to all these practical practical locations they got these fantastic actors and they but it's all in service of a story attacking colonialism yeah. and american exceptionalism and manifest, manifest destiny.
1: destiny
0: and then they paid tens of millions of dollars to like advertise it and put in 2000 theaters across the country mm-hmm. like the idea of a movie this Gore, and I mean, we haven't even mentioned how incredibly gory this oh movie is. <laughs> even, the opening scene
1: sets you up right away. Oh this yeah, it's a horror movie. This is a horror movie. Yeah, like, it, it's just in case funny, you were wondering, the title just, wasn't it, enough.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a horror movie. It is brutally violent all the way through. Yep. Right? It is brutally violent right from the start when you've got blood dripping down to his mouth and all of these corpses. Then the, the way they depict meat, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, oh when he's sitting and he's supposed to eat. Eat uh, the steak along with everybody else. Because again, we all have to partake in violence together to be a man. You know, like it's the messaging of this couldn't be clearer, you know? I know. All right. It's the celebration of your promotion. So you have to partake in, you know, you have to partake in the meat. It's just part of what you do. Yes. And, and, and he, and of course he can't, because you know, he has found out something about himself. Yep. And that is that he likes it too much. Yep. Oh, I and mean, It man. was just wonderful watching Martha walk away. I know. Because she just won't be a part of all of this. Yeah, yeah. Like she just won't be a part of all of this, and I think that's key. Right at the end, Slauson is Slosson is signing up for Manifest Destiny forever, and she is checking out. Yeah, it's such a nice message.
1: Oh yeah, no, I, I. There were so many things about this
0: movie yeah. that were so great. Oh yeah, that's that's so well done. Yeah, but, yeah, and. That is what I love about this movie, that it's like it's this surprisingly big budget movie about really big issues. Yeah. I know, really big issues so nice. that yeah. still manages to just
1: be a thrill ride. Oh yeah. Well, no, because it is I mean, I you can't it is so well shot, the color is so great. Like, oh. I just just oh, I mean the the woods, the snow. Yep. Everything is so beautiful. Oh yeah. It's, it's time. gorgeous. Like, everything is gorgeous. And I mean, even the Mexican American war right afterwards, they're in a gorgeous place and everything
0: is so impressive. And okay. What I, and I, this is a part that like, you're never generally, if you hear me talk about stuff, how often are you ever going to hear me talking about the music and something that basically never happens? I, know. <laughs> I almost never talk about the music. No, oh, it's me. <laughs> you do. You do. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I right? know. But I'm, I right. am just going to say, come out, of, out and say, this thing has such an incredible soundtrack because the decision was made. There are some places where they decide to go with like, you know, or, orchestral, uh, orchestral dramatic music. Yeah. But for the you most don't. part, the music, they made a very conscious choice to do the music using styles and instruments of the time. that were available and yeah. popular at the time. Yeah. Like it's mostly banjo and harmonica music. Yeah. We haven't that's had such that such a good choice.
1: I was going to say we haven't had that since um uh the one with Burt Reynolds.
0: Oh, um yeah, uh, uh deliverance. Deliverance, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. That's how far back that idea of exploiting that goes. But it's like, yeah, no, we're doing Year appropriate music in a way that like who does that? Who says yeah? No, it's going to be all banjo.
1: No, it was good and and nice banjo. Not not. Oh yeah. You know, I mean it. It is. I mean, you're not even mm. talking about this being a um. Oh, a problematic banjo. No, uh, no, not at uh, all. That it, you don't even almost notice
0: it. No. It's just, it's just there
1: and it fits and
0: it fits so perfectly. Like everything, is every decision, movie. every decision that got made. And again, the idea that like the original director was fired and she did it as a personal favor to Robert Carlyle yeah. with a week or two of prep. Well, because they I was, shot the whole thing in like 20 days. Yeah. Which oh. is insane when you see how complicated this movie is. Yeah,
1: well, yes, but then then it helps to have these good because it helps to have Guy Pierce, Robert Carlyle, and yeah. then Antonio, Antonia there.
0: Yeah, you Antonio know because
1: they that. know one another. John Spencer is is good and can fit like oh, all yeah. of these people. um you know the they key can come and do their job. The key characters yeah. trust one another, know one another, and mm-hmm. are committed to doing this fast. Oh, yeah, it's quite clear that the original director did not get the point,
0: <laughs> yes, clearly,
1: clearly that's why he was fired is that he didn't mm-hmm. understand he was doing a doing a horror a horror movie about colonization,
0: yeah, and I just you can actually say that it became a sunk cost fallacy, which is. If they didn't make the movie, they had to pay all of these actors either way, and they'd already gotten, they'd already built these sets, and they'd already got everybody out there, right? Yeah. So, but what I love is that's like I don't know the story of why they fired the first director, but the second director didn't understand it at all. Wanted to be more of a comedy. Wanted to dial back from the political commentary. Yeah. And everybody went on strike, and the actors refused to show up to set. And they're like, this guy is going to kill the movie that we all signed up to do. And so, yeah, solidarity. Sometimes. Yeah? You know, sometimes. Solidarity, everybody. Yeah. It's important. (laughs) Vitally important that you all stick up for each other.
1: Yeah, if you didn't, don't get that. And so many people don't get that.
0: But Mm. anyway. It's the only way you can fight the rich people is if we all stick up together. Because what you got to remember is there aren't very many rich people by design. (laughs) And (laughs) no, no. And and they get all your money because you keep buying
1: lotto tickets.
0: Yep. Yeah. Because you imagine you might get to be rich someday. And the answer is no, you're not going to be rich someday. And that's fine because we have way more power than they do. Yes. Well, you'd never know any. Well, no, you'd never know it because people don't organize. But uh there if, aren't that many rich people, and it turns out uh, a rich people ca- person can have their head cut off just as easily as a poor person can, ask, as ask, all of all of history's revolutions have taught us.
1: Yes, just ask the czar.
0: Just ask King Charles. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> 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 that's the thing. It's like you think you're a king, right, up until someone chops an axe down on your neck. Yep. And that's that's the point we all have to remember. They they only have power because we let them have power. It's as simple as that. We all they only have power because we agree they have power. And the minute we stop giving them that power, they don't have any. Like money is fake. We're choosing to let them be rich. Yeah, and, and money is really honestly these days especially these days uh in a in a slight i'm just gonna mention something briefly uh the podcast behind the bastards did an unbelievably good uh two-part episode about jack welch okay and it's like essentially saying that this is the man who and again obviously none of the stuff he did couldn't have happened without reagan getting rid of every um getting every rid of every like financial rule that had been put in place after the great depression to stop it from happening again. Yep. Like basically everyone he got rid of. But the fact is the reason people always say like, why doesn't America make things anymore? You know, why, why doesn't America make things? Why is there no manufacturing in America? You're like, well, it's cheaper to do it overseas, but there's actually more than that. And the answer is, is because America, uh, all of the corporations stopped, uh, becoming, Corporations that built things and did things, right? And they started becoming financial entities. Yeah. And that is what the entire second half of the podcast is about, about this man who took GE. Uh, and this is the thing that blew my mind. So when the, um, <laughs> the, the Dow Jones Industrial, right, uh, the stock market, started it the idea of the dow jones is people say well that's the health of the economy is how's the dow jones looking and in case you don't know what the dow jones is it's like what a uh, 100 different stock no it's like 500 stocks whatever the number of stocks is and it's their average value and so these stocks are picked to be the ones most indicative of the current health of the economy and so it's like the overall sense of how these 500 or whatever companies are doing should tell you something about the american economy Is the idea. And this thing that blew my mind about GE is when GE got removed, like Jack Welch did such a bad job of running GE that it got removed from the Dow Jones Industrial Index. And when it did, here's the part that freaked me out. It was the last stock on the Dow Jones Industrial Index that had been there from when the DJI started. So, The one stock that made it, you know, 108 years was destroyed. GE and Jack Welch destroyed
1: it. Well, take a look at, remember what happened to uh, Nortel.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's the exact same thing.
1: Yeah. We have our, we have our personal axe to grind.
0: Oh, our personal axe to grind. And and we were financially destroyed as a family because of Nortel's management. And we were far from the only ones. Oh, yeah. Far from the only ones destroyed by Nortel. And because what happens is all of these companies effectively um, uh, there's a thing called the Chicago School of Economics. We've talked a little about Milton Friedman and the Chicago School of Economics and neoliberalism a lot. But what happens is um, he had an unbelievably dumb theory and his unbelievably dumb theory was That if everybody is trying to profit as much personally for themselves as possible, right, if if everyone is trying to extract as much personal wealth from a company as possible, the company will have to do well because everyone has to manage the company well for that to happen. And that almost makes sense. the The idea is that, well, it's like if everyone does their job great at GE making things, then GE will make a lot of money, and they'll and it'll do really well, because right, everyone. Oh, and, and it'll trickle down. Job. Remember. Well, yeah, but we'll 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 get to that. <laughs> but the problem is, this theory, what this theory didn't see coming, was financialization, yeah. i.e., everything being based on stock value, and when you start paying. You're when you start paying your people in stock, those people stop caring about the health of the company and they start caring about the health of the company's stock. Yeah, And that sounds like it's the same thing, but it's it's not. not. (laughs) And so what Jack Welch would do was that every year he would fire 10 percent of the company. Every year he would have all of the managers go through, well, who is the the however you want to determine it, 10% least productive members of the company. Okay, we'll fire that 10% of people. And then every year he can say, We had great, you know, revenues for XYZ this year. Also, I fired 10% of the staff. So you can increase the, you can give us a stock bump. And that stock bump would increase and he would sell a bunch of stock. He would get richer. But all it did was create a climate at the company where everyone was constantly stabbing each other in the back. It's not healthy for the long-term success of a company to act that way (laughs) to constantly, how can you ever feel like you're doing a good job? If you're constantly worried that the guy next to you is the one who's going to not get fired. And you're the one who's going to get fired who even, even want to work together because someone might steal the credit for your work. (laughs) You know, like you create, Perverse incentives. And what Milton Friedman didn't understand is that if a guy can make $50 million for himself and destroy a company doing it under the rules of neoliberalism and all of this, that is a rational thing for him to do because it doesn't matter because you've created a thing where no one cares about the future of the company. They only care about their own personal income. And that all started when you started paying people in stock because, and this is the, like, why did all Americans fall apart? Well, Reagan made it legal to do stock buybacks. So when a company made at $50 million in a year, instead of giving people bonuses, instead of, uh, and instead of getting people bonuses instead of uh right um instead of getting instead of investing in the company investing in r and d investing in you know any part of the infrastructure of the company they would just buy 55 5500 million dollars worth of stock and buying back that 500 million dollars worth of stock increases the value of the stock that everybody just got as their compensation for the year so all you do by allowing stock buybacks there is nothing that is that helps nothing but to make rich people rich. richer. <laughs> that's that's all it has ever accomplished. And spoiler alert, that's what it's goal. Cool. But it meant that nothing got invested in the company. I mean, uh, we've talked about it before, but there's that gorgeous explainer, right, that goes into why Sears was destroyed by someone who ran businesses this way. Like all of the oldest companies in America, they get financialized. People only start caring about the stock price and suddenly you don't have a company. You know, it's insane. But this is this is what has happened to America, because spoiler alert, I know it's going to seem like I can't possibly land this, but it is an outcome of the mindset of colonialism. Yeah, it it is. really is, because it is about stripping things of their resources. Yep, They never give. They just take. There you go. Right? And they don't produce a damn thing. No, they don't make anything. They just consume. G went from the company, right, that invented everything in the, fir- in like the middle third of the 20th century probably to a company. Yeah, for, probably for the first half of the 20th century to a company that by the end was just buying light bulbs in bulk from China and slapping a sticker on them. Yeah. Because they don't produce things. All they do is just move money around and extract wealth from other places. That's what colonialism does. That's what the Wendigo does. And that's what capitalism does. Modern capitalism, anyway. By the way, the book that this uh, podcast was based on is literally called Jack Welch, The Man Who Destroyed Capitalism. (laughs) Because, and the argument the book makes is, you could at least make the argument that capitalism, as bad as a system it was, was creating and innovating, right, but once Jack Welch got a hold of it, everything stagnated, and everybody well, like, followed suit to boot exactly well, because Jack Welch was making so much money for himself, why shouldn't we all make money for ourselves? All of and these it companies looked good yeah, until it collapsed, yeah, all the companies started doing that thing where you fire the worst ten percent of your- uh, company every year. And what they would do is every division has to come 10% every year. So what happens if you're a manager in that division and say, but we're doing great. You know, yeah. we're profitable. Everybody's doing a good job. Why should I fire 10% of my staff? Yeah. And the answer is because a management book says Jack Welch did it.
1: There was nothing worse than all these people going to Wharton School of Business.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, no, and that's what it, um, that is one of the big points that was made. Yeah, going to Wharton is, it used to be that the way you became the head of GE (laughs) was that you were a really good engineer, right, who understood engineering, and then you were good at managing other engineers, and then gradually you worked way for the top. Say what you will about Jack Welch's idiocy in destroying America, in, you know, going hand in hand with Reagan to destroy America, he was a chemical engineer. You know, but the problem is the guys who come up in the 80s don't know how to do anything. They're all MBAs. They all went to Wharton, like you say, like they only know how to administrate businesses, but they don't know anything about that industry. So it's like you get all of these guys who it who honestly believe that it doesn't matter what industry they're in because because they have an MBA.
1: It has destroyed the education industry. If you want to even call it an industry, I mean, education it has. has been destroyed. There's no question in my mind about this. I mean, what's going on now is just pitiful. Yeah. And um yeah, yeah there's you can only do a little bit. <laughs> yeah. to change this.
0: Right? You can't. But it's 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 worth being aware of where a ton of our problems come from. Mm-hmm. And a ton of our problems come from financialization of corporations and the preponderance of MBAs. Yeah. It, It really
1: is. Oh, it was, it was terrible. I mean, well, I mean, even Algoma. And I mean, I, it, I, I hate it because now, of course, they're training, um, they're, they're they're colonizing let me put it this way what they're doing now is colonizing to so that everybody can be run by mbas mba yep you know i mean oh yeah oh yeah okay that that sounds real smart because yeah. you
0: can't and it's like but they can't they want to it. get rid of experts <laughs> yeah you know let's
1: get people who know nothing about nothing Yep. you know in here Education? Well, that doesn't really matter. Have you watched um have you watched Lucky
0: Hank? Hank? No, not yet. I hear it's great.
1: Um yes, and it ends well and it's so nice to see Val Kilmer and all the different people that they got to be on it.
0: But yeah, I mean, I think it's great that they're doing uh stuff about the how messed up education is now. Uh-huh. And it's important to talk about the aspect of money in that.
1: Oh, well, no, that's all it is. I mean, yeah, all you have to do is listen to these guys and what do they want? They, they they want to make sure that, you know, even in history, you have to be able to tell people what kind of good jobs they're going to be able to get from
0: uh-huh.
1: taking philosophy. Okay,
0: <laughs> no, you no, what well, to do is teach them. But it's like sense. you ask the, this question: How is it possible? That college tuition has quadrupled, but teachers aren't getting paid any more money. And the answer is, investment firms are destroying education. Well, look at
1: Sudbury, who, who, with government support, the government mm-hmm. of Doug Ford's support. Yep. All right, what did they do? Yep. Now, Sudbury declared... Bankruptcy on what is our equivalent of chapter 11 in the U.S. Yep. And they destroyed the university. They destroyed the three attached colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, and now and, and they cut everything. And now they're going to charge. Mm-hmm. They're now going to start charging international students another 5%. They already pay unbelievable amount.
0: Yeah. They're already paying triple paying triple what, you know, it normally costs. Yep. Am I going to kick that up again? And now another 5%
1: and I'm going, "And you really think people are going to come?" Maybe somebody should figure <laughs> this one out, but no, no, no. So they <laughs> oh, No, of course going. people
0: are going to flock from all over the world to come to Northern Ontario. <laughs>
1: Well, no, they go out and they recruit. I mean, every university goes out and recruits so they can get their FTEs up because the government pays by FTEs, and oh your success in getting people jobs. Like I, I had one student this year, and we were, I was talking. Well, I, we were talking about something, and I said, "Well, you can also." Oh, see, "No." He said, "I've already done all the data analysis, and yeah. I have to do this and this by this much time." because mm-hmm. that's when there's going to be a break sort of in this particular job area that I want to go into, you know, and everything is just about getting this job and not about the education. Even yep. Doing Even doing extremely well, and this student is doing extremely well <laughs> and is mm-hmm. really smart. No, no, he's not going to go off and do like, you know, a silly... And, and, masters or do a do anything else right that's no no um you know the 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 things that yeah well that's what i told students no it's it's all a cost-benefit analysis and you better hope to god you're right if you do that if you live your life that way because who knows what's coming um Mm -hmm. and i also told people i said if you're gonna go into the humanities don't do it You better damn well figure out that you have to do this like over and above an education, because if you think there's going to be a job, as I said, this book I'm reading right now called um, Dismantling Rape Culture. Yeah. Right. And she's, she was Canadian. And as she said, and she stayed in the United, she stayed, she got sort of these jobs. She got a full-time job somewhere in the United States. And she said she hung around and hung around and hung around and waiting for a job to come open in Canada. <laughs> and never did, of course. Of course. Um, in my area. Never mind. We don't even want to talk about that. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, and she did. And finally, she, had, she ended up in New Zealand. There was, I think that they, there seemed to have been a series of crises that just made her reshape everything in her life. And she ended up in Japan some mm-hmm. new university, they started off in peace studies and things, and then she ended up in New Zealand. Wow. You know, but she said she finally gave up that dream of ever getting back to Canada. And the faster you get, give up some of those dreams, the better off you are. But it's hard. Yeah. You know, it's hard for people, you know, when you go into... um when you go into education and you love learning and you want to involve yourself with people and um yeah no the big bite i mean what's going wrong i would say in the in the biblical studies area particularly in the states is that the big funders of it of course are um a lot of the big funders are very (laughs) not fundamentalist uh, evangelically oriented, and it's like everything else. Better mm. to have have a government that you trust fund your stuff because then you can say what you want. Yeah. If you have all of these philanthropic organizations, depending on what they are, come on, you want to do your PhD in economics, and others <laughs> are going to fund you. What do you think?
0: I happen? know. What do you think it's going to have? It to ain't going to be ravenous. <laughs> I know. Well, no, I will always go back to it's like the uh, you want to talk about pivotal moments in your life. Every now you can pick one. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was at university, I went to see John Ralston Saul speak. And what was supposed to be a speech about, you know, the state of Canada was just him telling for 40 minutes, uh, explaining why anyone trying to get an MBA should quit and do something useful with their lives. No right. Because their attempts to, uh, you know, their attempts to essentially, you know, quantify all of human life into business interactions were destroying the world. Like, uh, John Ralston, Saul, you. you're a genius. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah. So I know we've gone off on a bit of tangent here at the end, but well, you can't fact. watch, you can't watch, uh, you can't watch this movie about cannibalism and manifest destiny and all of this without bringing it back to capitalism. Because that's what know? the whole movie's about. Exactly. Like it's all the same drive. It's this drive to destroy and consume only for your benefit. The And as you say, the Wendigo never gives. And you can re- bring that back to, you know, these businesses these business raiders they never create anything they can't create
1: you know and the funny thing is is that and i why they don't want the prescience of all of these businesses right because think of all of the movies that came out there was the ones even with danny devito um about corporate raiders i'm not other people's money other people's money right yep um there's all of these warnings wall street for god's sake no no Mm -hmm. and this is why i'm not so sure that everybody's going to understand that that this is attack an attack on man, colonialism and manifest destiny that's the subtext of this movie um Mm -hmm. because how many people looked at wall street and i mean it's supposed to be a cautionary tale but they all decide they wanted to be these guys i know it's like billionaires
0: is anybody watching Billionaires? I think it's over. Billions. Billions. Yeah. You know? It's supposed to be a cautionary tale. You're making this look too fun, guys. Yeah, yeah. You're making it look way too much fun. Yeah. Especially because in real life, most biz- billionaires uh, seem to be pretty trash, boring people. Yeah. Well, at least boring. Uh, and often boring, yes.
1: You know, and and the, you know, <coughs> well, if money is the only thing that matters to you in your life,
0: yeah, uh, you're gonna be pretty boring. You're
1: gonna be pretty boring.
0: I mean, well, I, I mean, mean that's why uh, that that's why like uh, that's why Elon Musk is such a fascinating figure because he's a man who you know burned fifty billion dollars in an attempt to make people think he was cool by buying Twitter. He's like. No one thinks you're funny, no one thinks you're interesting, but I'll make them pretend to if I buy Twitter. They'll have to pretend I'm funny and interesting. Like, you, you're like, will go down as the most easy-to-diagnose low-self-esteem dude on Earth. Nobody likes me. Well, no, if you
1: yeah. decided to turn yourself into a decent human being, maybe yeah. people would like
0: you. No, no, he just wants to post memes. Oh and have people think he's funny and cool. Yeah, well I uh. tell ya. Well, I mean the C B
1: C and PBS and NPR got him. Oh yeah. Because he was he was, you know, gonna tag them as government funded.
0: <laughs> government funded. Jesus.
1: You know, and I'm just going, No, the government oh. has no control over
0: Yeah what government clear. controlled media is what they wanted to say yeah government oh control
1: no the government doesn't control no
0: though. it's this is not sputnik this is not russia today the bbc is not controlled by the government yeah yeah so yeah are they uh, more you know that than the, the like, cbc sure. hasn't
1: gone back on twitter
0: yet i'm not surprised now i mean i, I will say this um Was selling to Elon Musk an unbelievably stupid idea? Yes. But at least the guy who's created Twitter is like, well, obviously this is just a disaster. So I'm just going to do Twitter again without Elon Musk. (laughs) And let's see if that works better. I mean, like, it's literally so bad that Elon uh, Musk has announced that, like, the opposition parties in Turkey leading up to the election aren't going to be allowed to use Twitter. Like, all non-government stuff is going to be censored on Twitter, so the government will be the only one who's allowed to use Twitter, and he'll censor all their political opposition for them. Why? So that they will have an advantage in the elections. Well, no, no, but why would he want to do that? Because they threat. I'm sure they threaten to stop giving him money if they didn't. Because it's like, they buy... Like, they. he's the one... Right now, he launches all their satellites for them, and that's a lot of money to SpaceX. And it's legal to sell you know, the, the, car, the Tesla's in Turkey, and that's a lot of money for uh, Tesla. And so I'm sure the government just phoned him up and said, look, we're going to cancel all our contracts with you unless you censor our political opposition. And of course, he doesn't believe in anything except money, so of course he'll do that. Like, and his defensive response was, and this is what I kind of loved, his response was, uh, the decision was between censoring the political opposition or not being allowed to operate in Turkey at all. So what was I supposed to do? And I'm like, not operate in Turkey at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There like, is an option here. This actually uh, is to not function as a propaganda wing of the Turkish government. Mm. I feel like this is actually a pretty good option. Oh, it's ridiculous. You no, know, well,
1: he, he doesn't as I said, Manifest Destiny has created so many sociopaths. Let's yeah. put it
0: that way. You know. Oh, it has. It really has. Well, it has incentivized it has incentivized sociopathy. Yeah. In a way that is truly terrifying. Yeah. All right. So uh that is gonna be that. Seriously though, watch Ravenous. It's fun. Moment to moment, it's just a masterpiece. Uh, yeah, really I mean bad. it is
1: you will enjoy it. You it will is. it will not Disappoint. Yeah, it, it's a no, fun no, movie, even if you don't, because you don't have to. You don't even have to read the the, the the anti-colonialism in it. Um, yeah, if you don't want to. But of course, if you've listened to this podcast, you're going to be able. You're not going to be able to, to see to avoid it. Avoid
0: reading it. Yep. But, um, it's there. It's because it's so oh, uh, but it's it, clear. It, it truly is an exceptional movie. Yeah, like it. It's and it's so again fun. truly. The kind of movie you just, I mean, could they make this today? Yes. Would it be a major theatrical release today? No. Mm -hmm. And that is the difference. You could still make a movie like this on Netflix. You could make it Ah. on Prime or whatever. Sure, of course you could. Could you get it in 2,000 theaters and with a massive advertising campaign and people going on talk shows to advertise Ravenous? No, that could not happen today. All right, so that's that. We'll be back next week with the first episode of Cracker, Mind Over Murder. The American style. The American Cracker. It should be a blast. Uh, So let's see you back here for that. Uh, But until then, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling-related fiction you'd like us to check out, please uh, drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you are listening to this on an app or podcatcher, please rate and review it. That's how people find out about the show. We're going to see you here uh, next week for that. But until then, I'll say that's right. Au revoir. And have a good week.